Hey friends, welcome to the 100th episode of Behind the Headlines. On today's episode, we're talking about the hidden dangers of the Great Lakes, specifically the record-breaking drownings in 2022 on Lake Michigan. Joining us, Ryan Boldry from the Kalamazoo Gazette to talk about the story. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. As I said, our guest today, Ryan Boldry from the Kalamazoo Gazette. And as always, for this 100th episode, the Vice President of Content for MLive, one, the only, John Heiner. John? Thank you, Eric, very much for that kind introduction and uh, good morning and welcome back after the unofficial end of summer in Michigan, Labor Day weekend. I hope your weekend was as good as mine. And, uh, you know, it's been a great summer in Michigan. The weather's uh, cooperated quite a bit. We're in the tail end of COVID, knock on wood. Lots of people back out doing touristy things, traveling, uh, going to the beaches. Uh, It's been a great summer for all of that. Um, unfortunately, there's an undercurrent as well as people swarm to the, the lakes and beaches, uh, especially the Great Lakes, um, and that is the hidden dangers that, that lie there. And MLive's done quite a bit of reporting in the last few years on the drowning dangers uh, that have, on the Great Lakes, but especially Lake Michigan, which has an interesting set of circumstances with the currents and, and the winds and and peers and all of that. And MLive is extensively written about that. But Michigan this year, Lake Michigan saw the most drownings since 2013. It's it's in the mid thirties. Uh, as of mid August, it was 33. It may be more now, but anyways, uh, they're sad stories. Um, they're ever present dangers. And that's why we continue to write about them. But we also sh- have been writing about things that are being done to educate people. And I guess that's part of our podcast today. I want to welcome as our guest, a reporter from the Kalamazoo Gazette, Ryan Boldry. Uh, Welcome to Behind the Headlines, Ryan. Thank you for having me, John. Appreciate it. And, you know, throughout this conversation, we could talk a little bit about uh, the public public safety aspects of some of the reporting we've done, but but also uh, one of the best read stories we had this summer was a story that you wrote, and unfortunately, it was more tragic than not. Um, And I'd like you to basically introduce that story for our readers and, and then we'll talk about, you know, how it happened and, and, and how you reported it. Sure. Um, so like you said, definitely a, a very tragic story. Um, it was about a, a young couple, Emily McDonald and, and Corey Ernster, um, who were, had both attended Michigan state university. They, um, Corey had just graduated and moved to Wisconsin Emily was getting ready to go into her sophomore year. The couple had been together since she was a freshman in high school and he was a senior in high school. And 
pretty much had a long distance thing the, the whole time and had overcome all sorts of obstacles to, to kind of stay together throughout the years. And uh, his family was vacationing in South Haven um, the summer weekend. And um, the last day of the vacation, it was kind of an overcast day, a yellow flag day at South Beach. And um, most of the family went on to uh, go to a nearby blueberry farm and the two just kind of wanted to spend the day together like many couples do before he headed back to Wisconsin the next day. And uh, they were going to meet, I, I believe it was one of his younger siblings. I'd have to double check that um, at the beach later that day. But when the sibling arrived at the beach, they found their stuff and um, they didn't find them, but they saw first responders down the beach. And uh, unfortunately, the couple, the couple had drowned and um, yeah, it was just just a just a very sad story. I, Emily had grown up in um, the east side of the state, as had Corey. She had spent a lot of time in the Great Lakes swimming, knew about undercurrents, knew about all of those things. Um, but they figured, you know, hey, we're strong swimmers, and there was no red flag out at the time, and out they went. Yeah, and that that's what's there's many many aspects of the story that I think made it so well read. Obviously. It's a tragedy, um, but also I think all of us who grew up in Michigan, we're around water. Everybody knows you're within six miles of a river, stream, lake, or great lake or whatever in Michigan. Um, we may, might have a lot of confidence in our swimming abilities, but as our reporting has shown, Lake Michigan, especially Lake Michigan, but the Great Lakes are a totally different story, right? And, and we don't know. I don't think, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think there's any witnesses that saw when they went under or if they went together or apart, but it happened in a fairly short order after they had made their last communication. Right. Um, yeah. There were some Snapchats and text messages that had gone to friends and family members within about 15 minutes or so when they were found on the beach. So um, my family, I mean, obviously they were the responders brought them in. Really we're kind of getting at 33 people at least 33 so far in Lake Michigan alone I would uh, I would hazard a guess that most of those people felt confident going into the water um and the things that we've talked about on M live and uh, there's a column I'm going to write that goes uh, that with this podcast and we'll embed or link to some of the videos that we've done about Great Lake safety uh, some of the measures that are being taken to educate people but one thing I think everyone should really be aware of, uh, you mentioned the flag system. It's green, yellow, red, which is like a stoplight. Red, I believe they don't want people in the water at all. Yellow's kind of at your own risk. But many of these beaches, um, and I'll just, you know, from St. Joseph down by the state line to South Haven, Grand Haven, you know, all the way up, Ludington, wherever you go, um, mostly no lifeguards. Um, these communities, we don't have the funding uh, for lifeguards or so far that hasn't been changed. Um, not often. I mean, some of the, the, every one of these communities usually has a pier uh, that goes out into Lake Michigan, which makes it a little more hazardous. It creates what uh, one expert call a washing machine kind of effect. When pe and I see people jumping off piers all the time to swim. Um, it, it just really exponentially raises the danger. And then you have just natural things like riptides um, that we've also done some educational reporting on. 
But to, in your point of view as a reporter, um, how well do you think these hazards are known? I I mean, I don't feel like they really are. And, and John, I grew up in, in Petoskey and, you know, I spent a lot of time as a team jumping off the pier and little Traverse Bay there and which feeds right into Lake Michigan. And I mean, I remember a guy in my brother's class who, who drowned and there was a younger friend of mine who, who drowned as well off of that pier, but it, it still, it wasn't, it wasn't, you know, something that people were ever seemingly afraid of, you know, it's just like, Hey, the water looks fine. You jump in. And I mean, I don't remember a flag system when I was growing up, but you know, that was the eighties and nineties when, when I was young. So, but I, I don't feel like it's it's something that, that people have a lot of fear of. And I think maybe, you know, if you do have lifeguards on a beach, I, I think it's just that position of, of authority. It's a, it's a whistle. It's a bullhorn. It's get out of the water. You know, as things turn to red, I think people tend to take those things a little more seriously, maybe than a flag. Right. And I in our reporting that we did, um, and we've been reporting for several years now on these dangers, there are some communities that have taken measures where they're putting uh, more signage up uh, to warn people about rip currents and so forth. They're putting out uh, life preservers and vests out on hooks out on these piers or near these piers. Um, some of that, you know, especially the life preserver part is after the fact. It's after someone's in distress, you know, so education seems to be important. I grew up like you uh, on a lake in northern Michigan, um, grew up swimming in these lakes. Um, I body surfed on Lake Michigan when I probably shouldn't have. Hey, six foot waves, let's go body surfing, getting slammed to the bottom. And um, I think one of the prevailing themes here is that people might overestimate their abilities uh, to swim. And I was just on a, a vacation in the Caribbean and it wasn't a real wavy day, but I got in the mood to swim out to the buoy where they marks the swimming area. And I haven't swam like that in a long time. And I got a little distressed coming back. Like I may have, <laughs> I was really gassing, you know, and the water's a lot deeper out there. So I don't know. I think to your point, people jumping off piers probably think it's like a big swimming pool and this is fun. There's a ladder right there. But as our reporting has said, it's a churning kind of thing, even without the riptides. Um, and we can, and some of the links that, uh, I will provide my column. People can look at some of the safety precautions and, and tips from experts about how to recognize when you're in one, how to get out of one. Always, if it's a yellow or red flag, maybe not getting in might be a good idea. Sure. And I think overestimating is a, you know, a, a good word for what happens in a lot of these instances. I don't think this this particular one on this last story that I wrote is an example of that, um, you know, with with two kids in their in their late teens early 20s who grew up with understanding like the great lakes but a lot of our drownings that we have in lake michigan tend to be people you know who are visiting from out of state and you know they're used to maybe having visited an ocean for a bigger body of water or you know smaller lakes that are completely different animals than the great lakes are Absolutely. That seems to be a common theme in our reporting. I'd like to switch gears here a little bit, Ryan. And uh, everybody who's been in journalism long enough has had to write stories that are have these sensitivities, uh, tragedy, you know, somebody dying. Um, I've always looked at it and explained it to people as 
even though it's a hard part of the job to contact the family of those who've died, it's important to tell the stories of these people's lives. Um, that's what your story was so touching was the relationship between this couple and uh, those, those um, anecdotes about how they, they grew up together and, and, you know, died together uh, really touched the humanity in all this and the sense of loss, but it, it still is very difficult. <laughs> we're all, we're people too. Why don't you talk a little bit about when the story happened, you got the assignment and where you took it from there. Yeah. I mean, it's the, the day of social media being the phone book kind of for the journalist in this era. And it's looking up who these people were on Facebook is kind of that first step. And, you know, who are the, who are the friends that are, you know, sharing that are commenting, seeing if you can identify, you know, who, who the family members are and then kind of honing in on four or five individuals and sending out messages. And those messages aren't easy ones to write. And it's, you know, it's the only shot that you get as a journalist to, to reach them because, you know, there's a, a type of journalist who is going to just bulldog and push and push to, you know, get, get that answer and get that quote. And these aren't, these aren't the type of stories that you can do that and still be, be humane at all. And it's, you know, this particular instance, it's, you reach out and you start by offering your condolences and it's a genuine heartfelt thing. And, and you just let the people know that this is the opportunity that to memorialize them and share their story, share those anecdotes. And that, you know, and there's been other tragedies where, you know, maybe it's a shooting or something like that. And, it's very shocking. People sometimes don't want to share right away, but it's if you have to take it that extra step and it's saying, look, you know, in a couple of years when somebody's missing that person and they look back and they Google that name and all they see is this person was a victim of, you know, a shooting or a drowning or this car crash, that's this is your opportunity for more to show up in that instance. And Absolutely. I agree. And having done this for a long, long time and having covered tragedies, both from car accidents to shootings, to drownings and um, or cancer victims of young children or whatever, I sometimes hear from people, how dare you? It's so intrusive. And, you know, journalists are like, like we're a pack of wolves at the door, but to your point, it's the last story of this person's life. Let's tell it right. Let's give it opportunity to, to talk about. And, and even in some of the shooting tragedies we've seen, we get the families and say, you know, he, the guy had a dream. He was working to go to college or whatever. And, and if it's going to be the last story, let's, let's honor it and do a good job with that. I think that's what really resonated with the story you wrote about Corey and Emily is I, I really got to know them. You know, everyone's got a story and you found it. Um, one of the people you interviewed who was really key to this was Emily's mother, correct? Yes. 
And how did that contact go? And and what's that like as a reporter to have that conversation and and kind of open the door to that? Well, it's 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 not easy. <laughs> definitely not an easy part of the job um i was actually very surprised when when i reached out um i like i I had identified five people in the situation like i said and um i had sent a message at that point to three people her mother mason and one other person who i didn't hear back from and her mother picked up the phone and called me within seconds of my message hitting her inbox, which kind of blew my mind. Um, but it also gave me a lot of comfort because it let me know that, that her mom understood, Hey, like this is a chance for, you know, Emily's story to be shared and for it to be done, done right. And, you know, we chatted for a while before, diving into the interview and you know obviously it was same thing as it was in the message it was you know let me start off by offering my condolences and and kind of talk about that and I'm not a parent so I don't can't understand that perspective but you know I've been there unfortunately and in a scene of a drowning where I've had to identify a person who's come Mm. out of the water and it's horrible it yeah, still one of the worst days of my life looking back, but it's times like that where it's you can you can take those instances from your own life too and you can kind of share those with the family and kind of let them know that you're gonna you're gonna handle it with care. It's interesting. There is a sense of shock. I mean, here's the thing, even when it's not our family or somebody we know, for journalists, there's still things that they were people. And so we we have an emotional reaction to it, mm-hmm. but there's also something comforting. It's almost like if you go to a funeral home, which I mean, who doesn't dread going to the funeral home? I mean, what do I say? Right. And, but you always, when you leave, you feel better that you, as humans, we all kind of came together and shared the stories and, and shared our grief. And in a way, I think this story, although there was a bunch of positives about their life, allowed our readers to share a grief about loss like that. Um, as I said, it is one of our, if not our best read story of the summer uh, on M Live. So, you know, hats off to you on that. You you also found a, a mutual friend, I believe. Um, and how did you find that same way, social media? Same way, social media. It was, um, you know, just who is, one way I do it is looking to see who's who's sharing our initial stories often. Um depending on how Facebook settings are set with their profiles, with, you know, the victim's profiles, things like that. You can often, if it's a, if it's public, you can see, you know, who, who's tagging them. So it was just through social media. And, you know, this particular individual had quite a few posts, you know, sharing memories throughout the years. And it was pretty obvious, you know, they had grown up together and, shared memories dating back to middle school and through high school and, and we're still close. So. Right. And I think we also were able to glean some photos um, that way as well, yeah. couple, which, which really what you want to see in this type of story. Uh, yeah. What kind of feedback did you, did you get from the families or readers or anybody? 
Um, I, I definitely, you know, I, I did receive some positive feedback from family members. Um, it was one, it went from one of the parents as well as, uh, and then I noticed like just kind of on social media, you know, I didn't hear back from, from the other parent or from Mason, but I, but I did notice like they had shared the story, which to me says, you know, that that's enough for me because that's a, it's a way of show, saying, Hey, you know, this was done well. I mean, if they didn't like how it was done, they probably wouldn't have shared the story or they would have had something negative to say when they did. Well, you did an amazing job. Um, very sensitively handled, but you did a great job of telling their life story and who they were came away, felt like I know, knew them better. And also the, her mother and, and how gracious she was with sharing too. Um, in some ways we see the best of people when, when these things happen, these tragedies happen. What's up is a form of wrap up here. Any thoughts about water safety or anything you came away understanding about, about the great lakes and this rash of drownings. Sadly, you know, John, like you said, it's, it's something that we've been covering a lot the last few years and I feel like we had a, a similar rash I was either 19 or 20. It seems like I was writing quite a few headlines with drownings in them over from, from that same area, South Haven, as well as down, down to St. Joe. Um, really though, it's just, if there's a yellow or red flag out there, just, I mean, it can change in an instance. And Emily's mother said that in the story and that's, you know, something that they're aware of. That's something that their child was aware of and it's it can change in an instant but if you know that beach looks empty and there's a flag up there that's mm-hmm. there's a reason for that so I mean, take a take a walk down the beach and better safe than sorry um and you know, we don't take any joy in, in reporting these kind of stories that's for sure well thanks ryan thanks for coming on sharing how you reported that story uh and for the work you do to keep people informed and uh, as i say I'll, I'll link to this in the column and people you know get educated we have a great 10 minute video on uh, the great lake drown, drowning phenomenon and how to keep yourself safe so uh, sure care is probably the best approach but thanks for joining us today on behind the headlines ryan and keep You're up welcome. keep up the great work yeah thanks john and there they go huge thanks to ryan for joining us to talk through this story If you like what John and I are doing, and clearly you have, we're 100 in, please like, comment, and share wherever you get your podcasts. Till next week, he is John Heiner, I am Eric Halkren, and this is Behind the Headlines.